Amen. All right, well, we're there in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter number 14. And if you remember last week, we began a series on the subject of revival. I am thankful that I only have to preach the sermon once today, uh, so uh, I can get all of, it, all of you in this one time. Uh, but today, we are continuing this idea of revival, and as we study revival over the next several weeks, we're going to be doing two things. We're going to be looking at the great passages about revival in the Bible, and then we're also going to be looking at the great revivals in the Bible. We're going to look at the actual revivals that took place in uh, the Word of God, and the reason for that is because I believe that this time, this transition uh, back into our regular schedule and, and having the entire church family together, I want this to be the revival of Verity Baptist Church. I want this to be a time of renewal for all of us in our walk with the Lord and, of course, in our ability uh, to know God and, like we talked about last week, to make Him uh, known. And before us this morning, here in the book of Hosea, we have, again, one of those great passages on revival. Now, the entire chapter basically is about revival. Verses 1 through 6 have an outline, a seven-step outline on revival. And I'm not going to go through that this morning, where I am going to go through that at some point in this series, later on uh, in the series. But for this morning, what I'd like you to notice is just down in verse number 7, where the Bible says this, "...they that dwell under his shadow shall return." And I want you to notice these words, "...they shall revive as the corn." They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. I want you to notice that in this passage, we uh, read, and again, the entire thing has been about revival, and we'll break that down in another sermon. He talks about returning to God and repenting and rejoicing and um, being renewed through God and all of those things. But here in verse 7, he talks about they shall revive as the corn. They shall revive as the corn. And we actually, in this verse, see the prerequisite for revival, which is why I wanted to begin here, even though last week we looked at revival and we kind of had an overview of revival. I wanted to begin as we study this idea of revival, because the next several weeks we're going to learn how can you experience revival in your life? How can I experience revival in our life? And what we're going to learn this morning is where it must begin, and it begins with this idea. When he says here in Hosea 14, they shall revive as the corn, he is Given us, giving us an idea of a prerequisite for revival. And I want you to notice that keep your place there in Hosea 14. We're going to come back to Hosea 14 towards the end of the sermon. So you'll know we're almost done. When we come back to Hosea 14, I'd encourage you to put a, a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. And go with me, if you would, to the New Testament book of John. John chapter number 12. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 12. When the Bible says there, they shall revive as the corn, there is a hint there as to something that is needed, something that is required for revival. And I want you to notice that in John 12, Jesus kind of explains this and lets us know what the reference or the prerequisite is. Notice John chapter 12 and verse 24. John 12, 24, the Bible says this is Jesus speaking, of course, verily, verily, I say unto you. He says, except a corn. Do you see the word corn there? Just like in Hosea 14, 7, it said, they shall revive as the corn. He says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground. And I want you to notice these next two words, and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth 
uh, bringeth forth much fruit. Now I want to, uh, I, w- I want you to notice uh, this morning, and maybe you can even write this down on, on the back of your song sheet. There's a place for you to write down some notes. And I want you to notice that when it comes to revival, if you're going to experience revival, if I'm going to experience revival, and if enough of us are, are going to experience revival in this church to be able to have uh, a church that is experiencing revival. There is a prerequisite, and the prerequisite, and if you're taking down notes, I encourage you to write this down. For revival, there is a prerequisite of dying to self. For revival, there is a prerequisite of death. Before the corn can be revived, Hosea 14, 7, they shall revive as the corn. The corn must fall uh, into the ground and die, John 12, 24. Now, usually when we think of revival, we think of the need for revival because of the fact that something died. Something cannot be revived unless it is first dead, right? This is why revival cannot apply to uh, a new believer. It's not something when a new believer gets saved, they're not being revived, they're being vived, they're being given life, they're being quickened by the Holy Spirit of God. Revival can only happen when something dies. Revival can only happen, uh, it can only take place when something first dies. And usually uh, we think, well, uh, revival is needed or reviving is needed when there is a spiritual death, right? Like a coldness in your spiritual life, a staleness uh, in the church. Go, go, go to me the book of Romans, if you would. You're there in John. You're just going to cross a few books, Acts, and into the book of Romans. While you turn there, let, let me just explain this. Sometimes revival is needed because something died, because something died spiritually, Revelation 3, 2, you don't have to turn there. You go to Romans. We saw it last week. Jesus said to the church in Sardis, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Of course, a church can come to the place where it is ready to die, to ready to die spiritually. And that, honestly, you just need to look around to be able to see that. You will see many churches, uh, they, they are telling us during this COVID-19 uh, pandemic or whatever it is, that many churches are not going to reopen. And the reason they're, they're not going to reopen, even once they are able to reopen, is because of the fact that they were already ready to die. They were already on their way out. And this was just kind of the last uh, blow that took them out of the race. There are churches all over this state, all over the city, all over this country, where you find beautiful uh, manicured uh, buildings that will fit hundreds of people, 200 people, 300 people, 400 people. And uh, you'll see a crowd there of uh, eight people, nine people, usually very elderly people. This is a very common scene throughout the country. You say, why is that? Because a church is an organism that is alive, but it can die. If it doesn't revive, if there is no revival, it can die. And Jesus looked at this church in Sardis, and he said, uh, he, he, he said, uh, strengthen things which remain that are ready to die. But not only that, there are some churches that are filled with people that are dead. Because in Revelation 3, we learn that Jesus said that he would take the candlestick from a church. He would take a candlestick. It might still be filled with people, but it's not spiritually alive. So we know that revival may be needed when something is dying spiritually, maybe individually. James 2.17, you have to turn there. But the Bible says this, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Your spiritual life might die if you're not working. And, we, and again, we realize that works is not needed for salvation. But when we talk about revival, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about a spiritual awakening in your heart. And your, your spiritual life 
might grow stale. Your spiritual life might grow weak and it might grow dead. But there is another death that is also required. And this is not when something just happens to die. This is when something chooses to die. In the Christian life, there is this concept, and I want to show it to you here in the Bible, that we as Christians actually have to make the choice to die. And I want to ask you this question, and of course I don't want you to answer it aloud, but I want you to answer this question. When did you die? When did you die? Are you there in Romans 6? Look down at verse number 11. If you're there in Romans, we were in John, you go past the book of Acts into Romans. Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 11 Notice what the Apostle Paul says here under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, of course. Romans 6, 11. He says, likewise reckon. You see that word reckon? That's an older word, a type of word that's used commonly in the South. You'll hear a lot of Southern people say, I reckon, you know, this uh, and, and that, right? But the word reckon means to come to the conclusion, to come to the opinion of. The day of reckoning is often referred to as a day of judgment. When God uh, will come to the conclusion of what needs to be done and what needs to be uh, uh, judged. And here Paul says, he says, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. Here the Apostle Paul is looking at believers and he says, you know what you need to do? What you need to do is you need to come to the conclusion, you need to come to the opinion of, you need to come to the belief that you are dead. He said, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Now, we're not talking about a physical death. We're not a cult here, right? We're not talking about physically putting anybody to death. But he says, you got to reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin. But notice he says this, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Go to Romans chapter number 12. You're then Romans 6, just flip a few pages over. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 is a very famous passage. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans 12, 1, the Bible says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, notice that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. The Bible says that God wants us to present ourselves as a sacrifice. You say God wants us to kill ourselves? No, a living sacrifice. He said, present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And then I love these words, which is your reasonable service. You say, you know, pastor, we're going to get back to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, soul winning. And then you want us to volunteer and work and you're going to ask us to come and, and show up early to usher and, and, and come on our off days to clean the building. And you're going to ask us to stay late and count the money. And you're going to ask us to come, you know, practice instruments and be in the orchestra. You know, I remember how it was before, you know, you kept it was pretty busy around here Sunday morning and, and then come back to church on Sunday night and then uh, come back to church on Wednesday night and then spend my uh, Saturday mornings out soul winning or Sunday afternoons out soul winning or Thursday afternoons out soul winning and then you want us serving and then you want us reading the Bible every day and you want us praying every day, you know. I don't know, it seems like a little much. It seems like, I, I kind of like this coronavirus uh, time. I was able to uh, get backslidden and it was no one's fault but, uh, you know, the virus or whatever. But listen, the Bible says that as Christians, we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that is wholly given to God. 
None of it belongs to us. We say, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my body. I'm giving you my soul. I'm giving you my might, my strength. I'm giving all of it to you. And you say, I don't know, that sounds a little extreme. You know, it's funny because God says it's your reasonable service. God says the fact that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, the fact that you were condemned to hell and you deserve hell and he forgave you of that, it is reasonable to give your life to him. And he says, you as a Christian... You as a Christian, and myself as a Christian, and this church as Christians, we sometimes need revival because we've died spiritually, and of course the need is there. But I'm not looking at a church today that is dead spiritually. I'm looking at a church today that is excited to get back to church, that is excited to get back to the things of God, that is excited to get back. But let me tell you something. You, Verity Baptist Church, still need to die in order to experience revival. We need to reckon ourselves dead. We need to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Go to Galatians chapter 2, if you would. Galatians chapter 2, you're there in Romans. You're going to go past 1st, 2nd Corinthians into the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter 2. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse number 20. Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Uh, Pastor, again, not literal, right? Well, notice, he says, nevertheless, I live. He says, it's a living sacrifice. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we're going to come back to that in a second. But I just want you to understand that in the Bible, there is this concept of dying to self, dying to sin, dying to the world. He says, I am crucified with Christ. So here's the question I have for you, Verity Baptist Church, is this. When did you die? When have you died to self? When have you died to sin? When have you died to the world? Go to Colossians chapter 3. You're there in Ephesians? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, you're in Galatians. Uh, Go past Ephesians, past Philippians, into the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. Do me a favor. When you get to Colossians, just stick your finger there for a second. Because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And I want you to be able to get there quickly. Colossians chapter 3. Notice verse number five. The Bible says this, mortify. Mortify. What does that mean? It means to subdue. It means to put to death. You've heard of a morticianer, someone who deals with dead bodies. He says, mortify, therefore, your members. What are your members? Your body parts. He says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, look, there is a prerequisite. You say, oh, pastor, you know, I like this idea of revival, and I'd like to experience revival, but please understand this. You cannot experience revival until you have first died. You must reckon yourself dead. Unto sin, unto the world, dead unto yourself. See, there is a prerequisite for revival, and it is death. Hosea said that they shall revive as the corn. And Jesus said that the corn must fall to the earth and die. You cannot experience revival. There cannot be revival until there is first death. Now, there may be spiritual death. There may be a church that dies. There may be a Christian that dies spiritually, but if you will experience revival, and if I will experience revival, we must first die. We must choose to die. 
So I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, and keep your finger right there in Colossians 3. We're going to come right back to it. But go with me to the book of Mark, if you would, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. We talked about the prerequisite of dying to self. Let's talk about the practice of dying to self. What does that look like? What does it look like to die to self? You say, okay, pastor, you know, I, I want revival. I need to die. I need to die to self. I need to offer myself a sacrifice unto God. I need to mortify my members. I need to reckon myself dead unto sin. I, I can do that, but what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, I want you to notice the practice of dying to self. See, dying to self is something that has to happen every day. In fact, we're going to look at that here in a minute. But I want you to notice what it means or what it looks like to die to self. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, the Bible says this, And when he had called the people unto him, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, Whosoever will come after me. He said, anybody that wants to be my follower, anybody that wants to come after me, notice what he says, let him deny himself. What does the word deny mean? It means to refrain from satisfying. It means to not allow yourself to do something you want to do. He says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now notice, the take up his cross, what's the cross? The cross is an instrument of death. The cross would be a tool that they would use to put something to death. And Jesus here, he says, look, I'm going to die on the cross for your sin. But if you want to be a follower of me, you're going to have to take up your cross. And oftentimes, and I'm not against people using this terminology, oftentimes we, we think about someone carrying their cross as some burden they have to carry. Oh, they, they have some uh, sickness and, they, you know, they, that's the cross they have to carry or they, they, they uh, have a problem in their uh, marriage. You know, maybe they're married to an unbeliever and that's the cross they have to carry. And I understand that terminology and I'm not necessarily against that terminology, but that is not what Jesus said when he said, take up your cross. What he said when he said, take up your cross, he said, you take up your cross and put yourself on it, which is why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. He says, you, you say, well, how, how, what does that look like? It looks like this. You deny yourself. You, when there's something you want, you deny yourself and say, well, wait a minute, I'm dead. When there's a will you have, there's a desire you want, you say, well, I'm dead. I've reckoned myself dead. I've mortified my uh, members, and I can deny myself. I put myself on that cross. Go back to Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. Look at verse 1. We looked at verse 5. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Notice what Paul says. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, notice what he says, seek those things which are above. He said, I I want you to seek the things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to seek the things that are of God. I want you to seek the things that are spiritual. Notice verse 2. Set your affection. What's an affection? It's a feeling of fondness. It's the fact that you like something, you love something. He says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. See, uh, the practice of dying to self, you say, how could I die to, to, to self? It begins with limiting yourself. It begins with limiting yourself and denying yourself uh, uh, of the things that you may want. You're there in Colossians, go to Galatians. Go backwards Past Philippians, Ephesians, into the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. 
Galatians chapter 5. See, you know what the problem with you and I? The problem that you and I have is this. You know when we get ourselves into trouble? We get ourselves into trouble when we give into our desires. When we give into the things we want. And you know, we get so good at, at Christianity, we even sometimes spiritualize the things we want. Uh, we, we, you know, do you know that religion can be done in the flesh? Do you know that acts of religion can be done for a motive that is selfish, like to be seen of men? Sometimes we spiritualize things like, oh, no, no, I'm doing this for the cause of Christ. And honestly, though, if you were honest with yourself, it's just because of you. It's because of your own motivations. It's because of your own envies. It's because it's you've got to prove something and you've got to defend yourself. And you, gotta, you know that a dead person doesn't get offended? I mean, go, go, go down to the cemetery today. Find, find a, a dead person and just start yelling at them. You stinking, filthy, blankety-blank. Let me tell you something. You're this and you're that and your mom's ugly. You, you'll get no reaction from a dead person. They'll just lay there. Even, even try it on the other way. Try flattering them. You're the greatest ever. You are so amazing. Let me give you a gift. Let me try. You know that you can't, you can't manipulate them. You can't get a response from them. They're dead! And God says that's how you and I need to live our Christian life. So oh, the world's trying to get a response from me. Hey, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead. The world's trying to, uh, uh, I'm getting offended here. Dead people don't get offended. I'm getting lifted up with pride here. Dead people don't get lifted up with pride. I'm being influenced by the emotions that I have in my heart. No, the problem is this. You're too alive. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and die. Here's a question I have for you. When did you die? Or have you died? Look at Galatians 6 and verse 14. Galatians, you're already there. Just flip one chapter over. Galatians 6 and verse 14. Galatians 6, 14, the Bible says this, but God forbid that I should glory, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross, an instrument of death, yeah, of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice, notice, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. See, in order for a revival to happen, there is a prerequisite of dying to self. And the practice of dying to self looks like this. You limit yourself. You deny yourself. You put yourself on a cross and you say, I'm dead. The affections and lusts of this world cannot entice me. You limit yourself. But there's a second thing. Go back to Mark, if you would. Mark chapter number eight. In order to practice dying to self, not only must you limit yourself, must you deny yourself, must you say, here's what my flesh wants, here's what my pride wants, here's what my envy wants, here's what my emotions want, here's what I want to do, but I'm dead. You must limit yourself. There's a second thing, though. You must lose yourself. You must lose yourself. Mark chapter 8, look at verse 35, notice what Jesus said. For whosoever will save his life. I want you to understand the terminology here. When he says, whosoever will save his life, he's talking about someone who wants to save their life for themselves. Someone who wants to live 
for self. Live for themselves. Live for the gratification of self, the uplifting of self, the making feel good of self. Here's what Jesus said. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Here's what he says. When you live for yourself, you will waste your life. Because life, the the, the fullness of life, the impact of life, the influence of life is measured by how much we live for others. And when you live for self, at the end, all you have is yourself. He says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. He says, anybody who tries to live for themselves, to gratify themselves, to have pleasure for themselves, he said, they're going to lose their life. They're going to waste their life. But whosoever, notice, but whosoever shall lose. But whosoever shall lose. What does that mean? Here's how you and I would say that. Whosoever will waste his life. Notice what he says. For my sake and the gospels. You know what the world wants to tell you? You go to church too much. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning. I mean, the door knocking thing, and then you give money to the church, and then you are wasting your life. Here's what Jesus said. He said, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Here's all I'm telling. Here's all I'm saying. If you take two individuals, one lives for self. One lives for self. They do everything they want to do. They're, they're hiking every weekend. They're on the lake every weekend. They've got every toy you can imagine. They're succeeding financially. Everything's great. Everything's wonder, wonderful. They live for themselves. They never invest in anyone else. You take somebody else who gives their life to God who loses their life, Jesus would say, for my sake and the gospel, who spends time every week out soul winning, trying to see people saved, who volunteers and gives of themselves and invests their lives in others. You take those two individuals and go to their funerals, and it will become extremely clear which one wasted their life and which one did not. Even though the world would say, you're wasting your life, Jesus says, look, The way to make an impact, the way to have an influence, the way to experience revival, he says there's a prerequisite, you must first die. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like limiting self. And it looks like losing self. And by the way, this is a daily occurrence. Go, you're there in Mark, go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. Someone said this: only two options on the shelf. To live for Christ or to live for self. And you and I need to make that decision. And this is not just a one-time decision. This is a decision that must be made every day. Luke 9.23, parallel passage, Jesus said this, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Notice this word, daily. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would. You're there in Luke. You got John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 31. Remember, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. This is what Paul also said, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice what he says. He says, I die daily. Please understand this. Verity Baptist Church, if we will experience revival, you say, how can we as a church experience revival? There's only one way. Revival is something that happens personally in your heart. 
It is an awakening. It is a, a, an energizing of your spiritual walk with God. You say, well, how can we do that together? Well, we can do that together if enough of us do it all at the same time. And the prerequisite, the prerequisite is dying to self. You say, what does that look like? Here's what that looks like. You wake up every day and you say, today I am dead. I reckon myself dead. I mortify my members. I declare myself dead. I put myself on the cross. I am dead to sin. I am dead to self. I am dead to the world. He said, I am crucified to the world, Paul would say. And the world is crucified to me. So we see the prerequisite of dying to self. We see the practice of dying to self. What does it look like? It looks like limiting, and it looks like losing. It looks like limiting and denying and saying, I have crucified my affections and lusts. The things I want to do, I'm not going to do. Listen to me. I just understand this this morning. If, you, if you're offended, I'm, I'm offended. I can't believe sister so-and-so. I can't believe brother so-and-so. I can't believe they would say, look, maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe they shouldn't have said. I'm not defending that, but I'm just saying this. If you are offended today, you are upset today, you are bitter today, you are angry today, you are envious today, you are jealous today, whatever that emotion is, if you're experiencing that, it tells you, and it should tell you one thing, you're not dead. No, the problem is, no, the problem is this, you're not dead. Because a dead person doesn't get offended. A dead person doesn't have to defend themselves. A dead person doesn't have to make sure that they know that I think. No, a dead person doesn't need that. dead person is dead. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So let's look at the purpose of dying to self. We saw the prerequisite of dying to self. Saw the practice of dying to self. I'd like to notice the purpose of dying to self. Go back to Galatians chapter 2, if you would. You say, why, why would I want to die to self? What's the point? Why would I want to die to self? Well, there's two reasons you'd like to, you'd, you should want to die to self. One is to be a follower of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, Whosoever shall come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, not only is being a, uh, experiencing revival is there a prerequisite of death, being a follower of Jesus Christ has a prerequisite of death. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ has a prerequisite of you saying, I will die to, say, to self. See, the purpose of dying to self is to be a follower. What does that mean? That, this is, here's what it means. It means that the life of Christ is lived out through me. Look at it again, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. You're dead, Paul? Yep, I'm dead. I've reckoned myself dead. I've mortified my members. You're dead? Yep, but notice he says, nevertheless, I live. He said, I wake up every day. He said, I die every day, but I live every day. But notice what he says. I want you to, don't, don't miss this. I think sometimes we read these verses and we think, oh, that's just Paul talking or, you know, Christian lingo. No, he, he says, nevertheless, I live. But then he says this, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Imagine how it would transform your life. If you took off the little wristband that said, what would Jesus do? And you actually started living your life in such a way as to what Jesus would do. So I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's how it looks. You die, you get out of the way, and then you let Christ live through you. You, you say, why do I got to die? Because you're in the way. Why, why do I have to die? Because Jesus wants to live through you. Because he wants to live his life through you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I read recently, I was reading a, a book, and uh, they, they gave an illustration of a farmer back in the, I don't know, 1700s, 1600s, who got a hold of this verse that it says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And he understood that phrase, and I would agree with him, to do everything to the glory of God would mean to do everything to glorify God. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. He said, everything I need to do is I need to do everything to glorify God. Meaning that when I do these things, others would think of God in a better way as a result. And he sat down to have breakfast. And when he sat down to have breakfast, he thought on this idea, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. His wife noticed that he didn't eat as fast as he used to. And he didn't complain about the coffee. And he actually took time and prayed. And he went to work. And, and, and jobs that he would have just normally just, ah, it's good enough. Or, or, or when he was asked to do a favor to pick, uh, to, 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 to be able to fix the tool for another farmer, something he would have maybe just done quickly and handed it off, he thought to himself, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, to glorify God. He took his time and he worked at it. And here's all I'm telling you. The Bible says this. The Bible says that we ought to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Say, why does that not happen? Usually it doesn't happen for one reason. You're in the way. I'm in the way. We're not dead. Galatians. I'm I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. I think that's where I asked you to go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. If you go backwards, just one book back from Galatians into 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 15, notice what he says. He says, and that he died for all. Right? I mean, hopefully that's true of you. He died for all, but you know what? He died for you. He died for me. And that he had died for all, here's why. Notice, that they which live should not. That they which live should not. Henceforth. What does that mean? From this point forward, from this point on, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to experience revival in my life. Then you have to stop living. You have to die. That he might live through you. You're there in 2 Corinthians 5. Just flip back to 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verse 10. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, notice what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 4.10, the Bible says this, always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He says, always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says, that the life also of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. How would it change your marriage? How would it change your parenting? How would it change your work? How would it change your life, your relationship with your neighbors and those around you if people would say, that guy died one day? She, she used to be a certain way. She used to be ornery and critical. He used to be a thief and a, and a cheater and, and a liar. They used to live certain ways, but they've died. And now all I can explain is this, that Jesus is living through them. See, there's a, repre- a, a prerequisite for revival and it's death. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. We die daily. We wake up every day and say, I am crucified with Christ. I die daily. I reckon my body dead. I mortify my members that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. You say, What's the purpose of dying to self to be a follower of Jesus? We are called to let him reproduce his life in us and through us. Go back to the book of Hosea if you would. We're going to go to Hosea and we're going to go to John if you want to find those two. Hosea chapter 14. Someone said this, buried with Christ and raised with him too. What is there left for me to do? Simply to cease from struggling and strife, simply to walk in newness of life. Hey, Pastor, why are you preaching the sermon? Because I want Verity Baptist Church to experience revival. I want to experience revival. I want you to experience revival. But we'll never get there. Before we can even start talking about the great revivals in the Bible, before we can start looking at the great revivals and the characteristics of revival, we will never get there unless we understand that there is a prerequisite to revival because nothing can be revived until it is first dead. And you've got to reckon yourself, and I have to reckon myself. And we have to choose to die daily. So again, I ask the question, when did you die? Have you died? Why would I want to? To be a follower. There's a second reason. Why would I want to? To be fruitful. You must die to self to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you must die to self to be a fruitful disciple. Are you there in Hosea 14? Look at verse 7. Where we started. We're almost done. We're going to look at Hosea, and then we're going to look at a few verses in John, and we'll finish up. Hosea 14 Verse 7, they that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn. And when they revive as the corn, notice, and grow as the vine. See, when, 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 a, when corn falls to the earth and dies, then it can grow. Then it can become fruitful then you can become fruitful. Go back to John chapter 12. Notice verse 24. John chapter 12, verse 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 12, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you. John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except of corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. 
it abideth alone. Say, Pastor, I, I've, you know, I mean, I've gone soul winning and I've, I've never seen somebody saved yet. Well, maybe the problem is you're not dead. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Well, I've seen people saved. I was soul winning. I've never had somebody come to church and get baptized. I, I, I've never had uh, uh, somebody got baptized, you know, uh, come to church with me and sit by me and, and I got to disciple them and they grew. I, I've never experienced that. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just telling you. I'm just explaining something to you. Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. Unless you die in your Christian life, there will be no growth, there will be no fruit, there will be an abiding alone. Now look, if all you have is salvation, then praise the Lord, go to heaven, yet as of by fire, you'll be there, Great, praise the Lord for that. But if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must be a follower and you must have fruit. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, and that, that's really the key phrase, if it die, it, it bringeth forth. It bringeth forth. Don't miss it. Much fruit. I, I want to be fruitful. You got to die. I, I want to be a follower. You got to die. If it die. It bringeth forth much fruit. Go to John chapter 15. We'll look at two verses. We'll finish up. John chapter 15, verse 5. John 15 and verse 5, the Bible says this. I am the vine, ye are the branches. This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth. Don't miss the two words. Much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. I'm a disciple of Jesus. You got fruit? Uh, No. Well, maybe you're not dead. I didn't say you need fruit to be saved. You don't need nothing to be saved but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're also going to be a fruitful disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. A fisher of men. You cannot, you cannot, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, just understand something. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not reproduce yourself, not produce fruit, not be a fisher of men. If you become a follower, you will become fruitful. You say, well, I don't have any fruit. If it die. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So we begin with the process of revival. And unfortunately, this is where some of you will get off on the process of revival. Because dying to self is too much to ask. Dying to self is too tall of an order. But if you die... But if you die, you can bring forth much fruit. If you die, you will become fruitful and you will experience revival. We must die or remain unfruitful. Those are the options. When we talk about revival, we learned last week, what is it? What is revival? And we 
brought it down into this, we put it into this statement. Revival is to know God and to make God known. Revival is to come to the place in your Christian life where you know God in a deep way, where you know God like you haven't known him before, and where we corporately make God known. You say, that sounds good. I like that. Okay, well, here's the problem. The first step is you got to die. Nothing can be revived till it first die. Hosea 14.7 says, they shall revive as the corn. And then Jesus says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, keywords, it bringeth forth much fruit. Let's bow our heads and now word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this church. I realize I may be biased, but I think this is the greatest church in the world. I think I stand before the greatest people in the world. I know they love you. I know they love me and my wife and my kids. I know they work hard and they give of themselves. There's been a lot of transition, a lot of changes, and they've just rolled with the punches, and I thank you for that. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to not come back as the old Verity Baptist Church, though there was nothing wrong with the old Verity Baptist Church. Lord, I pray you'd help us to come back revived. Revived.